Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc podcast. I'm happy to have you here. I'm also happy to have back in the studio, Carla Nomberg, who is the author of You Are Not a Shitty Parent, How to Practice Self-Compassion and Give Yourself a Break. Carla was on our podcast in the very beginning. She was one of like the first five, 10 episodes. And so it's amazing to have you back. We've grown, you've grown, you have a second book. Thank you so much for being here, Carla. I am so excited to be here and congratulations with all your podcast success. This is awesome. (laughs) You know, it's a work in progress, labor of love, all the things we spend our time and energy on. So tell us first, just for those who don't know about your first book, Tell us just like a tiny little synopsis of the first book, and then what made you decide, I need to write a second book on this specific topic that you're talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the book you're referring to as my first book is actually my third book. Mm-hmm. Okay, but It's there my go. first sweary book. So if we're mm-hmm. looking at like profanity-laden parenting titles, then yes, this is, you know, Shitty Parent is my second profanity book. And the book that we talked about last time was called How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids. And I wrote that book partially for all the readers out there and partially for me because I needed it too, right? And so it was really, that came out of my own labor of love, which was figuring out how to not freak out at my kids when things got hard. And that was a long process for me. And I approached it both, obviously, as a mom. I have two daughters, and they are currently 12 and 13 years old, but also as a clinical social worker, right, who was diving into the research and the practices and trying to make sense of my over-the-top reactions when things got hard. So that was the previous book. So How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids was published in the fall of 2019, which was just a few months before the pandemic hit. And then, you know, by the next spring we were all stuck at home with our kids on some amount of virtual schooling. And, you know, the rest of us parents were either trying to work from home while we had kids underfoot, or we were trying to just parent. All of us were trying to parent without getting a break. Like we were terrified about the pandemic and we weren't getting any time away from our children. And we were really worried about our children, right? Do you remember how scared we were, Whitney? It was... It was terrifying, especially for me as the parent of a kiddo who has autism. I mean, it was like, I just saw her behavior like, you know, and mine along with it, you know, because it's too much togetherness, as my friend would say, like way too much togetherness and too much unknown and an inability to even reassure her that it's going to be okay. Because, you know, as an adult, like it should be at some point okay, but you have no idea when it will be okay, you know, as opposed to other experiences in your life where you kind of know like, okay, you're going through like losing a tooth, your tooth hurts, that's going to take you a week, 
you know, or junior high sucks. It'll be better in two years. But this was like, I don't know, this could be the next 10 years of our lives could be like this. No, nobody knew. There was, there was just so much we didn't know. And parents were losing their tempers left and right because it was the combination of too much togetherness, way too much togetherness. Mm-hmm. And all of our anxiety and fear and tension and confusion and not knowing. And so many of our coping mechanisms had just gone out the window. So not only did all the stressors pile on, but we lost our ability to manage it. And so we were all falling apart. So podcasters and interviewers and folks were calling me saying, what advice do you have for folks? And I was like, I got nothing. None of us have anything. (laughs) Like (laughs) We don't have anything. I I, I remember people saying to me, what is your advice for working a full-time job from home while having a three-year-old? And I was like, there's no advice because that's not doable. Like that's not a thing anybody can do. And, but so what, what I ended up talking about a lot was obviously self-care to the best we could do it. Yeah. But I talked a lot about Mm self-compassion and uh, it is something that I gave maybe a page or two. I reviewed in like a page or two in the previous book. And I, I, as we were, you know, coming out, starting to come out of the pandemic, what I also saw was not only had parents been struggling for two plus years, really, really struggling, but also time and again, doubting ourselves and the choices we made. And the thing, the, the way I think about the choices we were all making during the pandemic is that time and again, our options were between bad and worse. Mm-hmm. Those are your choices. Parent, mm-hmm. you can pick bad or you can pick worse. And in the moment, we had no way of knowing which one was bad and which one was worse. Mm-hmm. Do I keep my kid home and they stay healthy, but they miss out on schooling that may or may not be effective, but at least they get to see their peers? Mm-hmm. Or do I send them to school and I, like I get a break from them, yay, and they get to see their peers, but what if they get this horrible sickness and they bring it home to me or to grandma and grandpa who live with us or to their immunocompromised sibling or like how, what, I don't know how to make these decisions. So Mm -hmm. I was diving deep into my own self-compassion practice, which is really just to throw, just to clarify what I mean when I say self-compassion, it's just noticing when we are suffering and responding to ourself with kindness. And I, I go deep into some of the practices in the current book, but when I started thinking about writing another parenting book, I was like, there is, there's nothing else I can write about. This is the topic. This is yeah. what we all need. Because just like a week ago, there was another article in the New York Times talking about how academically all the kids in our country are falling behind. And part of me is like, behind who? The whole world fell behind. We're all behind. Like, it's just a blip for everybody. But part of me was like, yeah, this is scary. And I don't want parents blaming themselves. I mean, I think that there's this double-edged sword that comes with social media, with the news, the rapid fire nature of the news, with just the amount of information that parents are bombarded with. And with these articles that come out, like, you need to do this to be a good parent. You need to do that to be a good parent. Here's all this horrible stuff that's happening with kids today that, like, is mostly your fault. I mean, all of these ways that guilt is piled on without a whole lot of solutions and this feeling of like, I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't, there's no real way for me to be an effective, good parent. And a lot of confusion, I think, and overwhelm. 
And I'm huge on self-compassion too. I'm sure a lot of the work that you talked about in the book referenced Kristen Neff, or at least was based on Kristen Neff's work about mindful self-compassion. Yes. And one of my favorite things about her work is when she talks about this aspect of common humanity, that helps me so much. For those of you who aren't familiar, common humanity is this idea of like, I'm not alone. Like I'm not the only person dealing with this and not in a way that's like, I shouldn't feel bad because everybody else has it worse. More like there's a billion other moms that feel the exact same way I do right now. So it makes so much sense that I feel this way. And I don't need to feel bad that I feel whatever way I feel because a lot of other people feel the exact same way too. Did that help you? The common humanity piece of learning about self-compassion? Common humanity, this concept, again, from from Kristen Neff, who's out of Texas, and she's an amazing psychologist and researcher, is is a saving grace for me on a daily basis. And I love, Whitney, that you connected it to social media, because I think of, obviously, social media is, like you said, a double-edged sword. Sometimes it's this profoundly lovely way for us to connect to other parents Mm -hmm. and to get advice and to cheer each other on and all the things but I find that it's so insidious in that it also makes us feel so alone. It's not just social media. It's also like reality TV. I, at some point during the pandemic, I went down this not awesome rabbit hole of some reality show that was a family with like 14 kids. And allegedly they didn't have any childcare assistance because in one of the episodes they're looking to like hire a nanny. And in two seasons of this, and yes, Yes, I did watch every single episode. (laughs) The mom doesn't lose her temper with the kids even once. She never even gets slightly snappy. And I I was sitting there watching this with me thinking like, oh my gosh, how does that mom do it? Then I I started watching the show to be like, what are her secrets? What are her secrets? She's got 14 kids. Oh, by the way, that she's homeschooling in the middle of a pandemic because they were still shooting it. And And she didn't, she never lost it. And I was like, and at some point I had to remind myself they call that reality TV. It's not reality TV. It's unreality. They edited out the freakouts or whatever it was. And I have to come back to these reminders of our common humanity and what that looks like for me. I, over the years with my self-compassion practice, every time I used to lose my temper with my kids, I would think to myself, literally, I would fully, totally believe that I was the only parent who screamed at her kids. Mm-hmm. I was the only one. And People could say to me, and I knew that other parents lost it, but I, in like this deep, deep place, I didn't really believe it. Right. And now with my practice, when I lose it with my children, which happens far less often than it used to, thanks to all this like work I've done. One of the first things I remind myself is parenting is hard for everyone. It's just a hard thing to do. And just because it's hard, that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It's just yes. the nature of raising another person, of like helping another person grow into the world. And so common humanity is a big piece of it. And I do think that so often social media and all the filtered images are kind of the like nemesis of common humanity because they make us feel like everybody else goes on amazing, perfect vacations where their kids never melt down like on the boat and everybody else, you know, their kids have an amazing first day of school and they're so happy to hold the little sign. And it wasn't actually a 15 minute struggle with your 13 year old to get her to hold the damn sign. Right. Not that I would know anything about that. Because apparently I chose to have that power struggle on the first day of school. I'm not sure. And so, I yeah, it's common humanity is is a huge deal. And in the book, I actually refer to it as 
connecting, which is one of the main practices of self-compassion, is either connecting with your own remind reminding yourself that you're not alone or connecting with the friends, the professionals, the family members, the community members in your life who will help you remember that you're not alone and who will show up for you and connect with you and be vulnerable in a way that really helps you kind of find your grounding in, in reality again. Okay. Two things that are coming to mind for this, for me, I we're in the middle of a move. We're buying and selling a house. My husband and I have gotten stressed about various parts. There was one day where there was a bunch of things. My husband has ADHD. So timeliness is difficult for him in terms of like sign the paper right now, that type of thing. I have my own struggles, but that for him, that's his struggle. And there was one particular day where there's probably six things that the realtor needed us to like in the moment, get on it right now, sign this right now. So that way it'll happen the way it needs to. And it was also my daughter's birthday and we're in the backyard and his parents were FaceTiming and I needed him to help my mom move a table into the back of her truck so that that way they could get it out so we could show the house. And my husband just like flipped out. Like he like <laughs> grabbed the table and put it into the back. It was like, bah, bah. And like his parents are on the FaceTime and it was like bad behavior. Right. And so I was talking with my friend the next day, who was one of my besties. And I was like, I just, you know, gosh, it was like embarrassing. And like, you know, he had this like kind of freak out moment. And she goes, you know, Whitney, everybody's allowed to behave badly sometimes. <laughs> like, touche, right? Like, such a great reminder of like, yes, like, I don't have to feel embarrassed about if my kids behave badly, if sometimes I behave badly, if my husband has a moment where he behaves badly. And like, we have to go back and have some repair around it. That's just humanity to behave, quote unquote, badly sometimes or to have an eruption of emotion. And then the other thing that comes to mind is last night, my, my kids have still been doing too many screens with the summer, like winding down. Yes. And starting my back hands up. Right here, right there <laughs> yes. with you. Too much screen time. We're, exactly. we're, there. we're here together, all of yeah. us. <laughs> so they are on their iPads and they're trying to add items to an Amazon cart. Cause sometimes they like to like look at stuff uh -oh. on an Amazon cart and add it. And I will say like, you can add it, but then I'm going to like look at it and see before, you know, there's no purchases that happen before mom looks at it. We, That's we, a dangerous we get it down. Mama. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so they're adding it on and they're each removing each other's items, but like oh, from separate iPads. Amazing. That is like siblings at their best. I freaking love it. Yes. <laughs> they're like one puts something on and the other one removes it. So they get very angry with each other. Yeah, they and they do. go into a bedroom and one slams the door and there's a mirror there and they break it. It's like a full length mirror. That's a floor mirror. And they <laughs> this break is totally it. What you need right when you try to sell a house. I yes, exactly. Okay. Yes, exactly. It shatters into a million pieces. Oh God! And wait. you know, then we have to say, well, listen, the consequences, you guys weren't using the devices appropriately. And so now you do not have the devices for a week. And it, I think this just goes to show that we have had too much screen time. We've already known it for a bit. It's time. We're, we're done. Okay. We're like cold, cold turkey. We're stopping. Mama's done. Yes. Everything's done. Yes. But at the moment, like two things. One, I felt like this only happens to bad parents that they would have a mirror break like this and something like this would happen. I had to remind myself, no, this happens to Everyone, maybe not that, but something else that's like super tragic and embarrassing. And number 100%. two, we'll, we'll get to my stories. 
Yeah, yeah. And number two, when my kids shouted it from the rooftops once they got to school this morning, that like they broke a huge mirror and mom had to take away screen time. I also had to remind myself, like, as all the parents are looking at me, like, really? Like, I think I'm just more open than y'all are. I know you guys have your little skeletons, demons in the closet, things that happen with your kids too, that your kids are acting quote unquote bad, or you were quote unquote a bad parent, or it was a difficult moment and it felt embarrassing, or it made you question how effective you are as a parent. Okay. I want to hear your stories about it. Cause I know you oh have my some, God, some commiserating so, stories. <laughs> I, I just want you to know that our version of that is with our Spotify account. So we have one Spotify account for the whole family. And we like to play this game where when someone in the family realizes that someone else in the family is listening to music, we like hop in with our music and then it switches over for the other person. Right. So like my one daughter will be listening to like ACDC, which is a thing that apparently my 12 year old wants to listen to. God help us all. <laughs> And my other daughter will jump in and throw in there some Hannah Montana, which she doesn't listen to anymore, but she knows it pisses her sister off so much when the ACDC cuts out and like Hannah Montana's in there. So (laughs) this is like sibling rivalry at its best. And as an annoying little sister, which is what I am, who like looks for ways to antagonize my older sister from across the country and I'm 45 and she's 48 and I'm still trying to antagonize her. I just love this. I live for this stuff. I don't live for the part where the mirror gets broken. That's where it's like, (laughs) but we, we have all had that where like, this is why I love Bluey. Can I tell you, Whitney, are you watching Bluey? Do you know Bluey? Yes, of course. Bluey. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So our whole family, my husband and I and our daughters who are now teens slash tweens every night, two episodes of Bluey. And one of the things (laughs) I love about that show is we see it, it feels resonant to me as a parent for those of you who don't know this is an australian preschool show each episode is like seven or eight minutes long and it's a family of dogs of a father dog and a mom dog and two sister dogs and in so many of the episodes like dad who seems to be the the primary default parent he takes it too far and i'm always like thank you for showing that like dad was playing too hard dad let it go too far somebody's feelings got hurt somebody got hurt and I'm like yeah because that's how it works and I'm tired of seeing like Caillou remember Caillou yes yes I'm tired (laughs) of seeing Caillou where like the parents are perfect all the time because we're not no parents are like that although I will say the dad in Bluey sometimes is just like so freaking patient with those kids and has a million imaginary games and I'm like stop it I hate imaginary play I will do a puzzle with you I will do a craft project like whatever I don't want to do imaginary play with my children. I never have. But one of the things that I loved, I just want to go back to what your friend said about how everybody's allowed to have bad days. This is so true. And so what I think we need to do, Whitney, is if you could just post your friend's cell phone number on the (laughs) podcast so we can all text her every time we're having a bad day, because that's the voice we all need, right? That is the voice of compassion. And I... I love it. That's what we need to hear from the people who know us best. And we all have miserable days. We just don't share them on Facebook and Instagram or whatever. Mama, it is here and available for download. It's the new Modern Mamas Club app 
We are so ready to join you on your personal journey from conflicted to centered. We want to take you on an evidence-based path from feeling conflicted all the time, from feeling pulled in all kinds of directions, from feeling burnt out to feeling really purposeful and aligned as you move through your working motherhood experience, no matter what is happening around you. So go check it out in the App Store. Are there specific steps within your self-compassion practice that you take on a regular basis? Has it become more of just the awareness piece? Are there certain pieces that have worked better for you than other pieces? Because you wrote an entire book about it. Like from what I know about self-compassion, I always think about it as three major steps. Like one, awareness of the feeling. Two, kind of validating the feeling to say, it makes sense that I feel that way. And then three, the common humanity piece. So expand on that as to the additional pearls that you gave within the book. What are the different pieces that you think will be really helpful to parents? This is such a good question that, in fact, I have a whole section in my book. I don't know if you can see this. that says why I wrote a whole damn book about why you're not a shitty parent. So <laughs> Yay! <laughs> It's a, it's a great, so my, my practice is a little bit different. And one of the things that's so beautiful about self-compassion is it's really flexible. It's not like a curriculum where you have to do X, mm-hmm. Y, Z. And I really encourage people to find the way to practice that feels authentic and resonant for them. Because I will tell you, for me, the first step in, self, step in my pra- self-compassion practice was learning that self-compassion even existed, right? So I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, a master's and a doctorate in clinical social work. I've worked in the field for, you know, well over a decade. And I had never heard this phrase until I started learning about mindfulness as a like last ditch, sort of desperate attempt to get my own emotions under control. And I will tell you, when I first started learning about mindfulness and self-compassion, Whitney, I was like a hostile witness on the stand. I was like, I don't want to be here. I am a petulant (laughs) child and I don't like learning about this. And this all feels really cheesy and gross. And I'm not putting my hand over my heart. And to this day, I still refuse to put my hand over my heart because that doesn't (laughs) feel authentic for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's authentic for some people, right? For some people, that's a meaningful thing to do. And for me, I'm like, nope, I'm out. So for me, learning that self-compassion was a thing and learning that it's not this like ooey gooey thing unless you want it to be in which case that's amazing Mm -hmm. but it's actually this evidence-based practice that we know really helps decrease stress depression and anxiety and makes it easier to change and heal to move on from difficult moments and behave differently in the future or sometimes our difficult moments have nothing to do with our behavior and we just kind of got to get through them and it Mm -hmm. self-compassion is really effective in those moments too okay so having said that this is the four-step process that I outline in the book, and that also is based on the evidence, Kristen Neff's work and Christopher Germer's work, and based on my own personal experience. Mm-hmm. So the first step is you have to notice when you are suffering, right? Because compassion is about noticing that you're suffering. And the suffering can look like dealing with really unpleasant, unexpected, unwanted emotions, sadness, fear, anxiety, confusion, rage, blah, 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 whatever it is, it can look like beating yourself up. And for me, this was the big one. Really this 
endless thought loop in my brain of what a terrible mother I was and how I was screwing up the most important work of my life and how my kids are never going to be functional human beings because of all the ways that I'm screwing up. And once I started tuning into that voice, I was like, holy shit, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody that I would speak to this way, like not even the people I hate the most. I don't mm-hmm. think I would talk to them this way, probably because I wasn't not clever enough to think of it in the moment. But the point is, that, like, I was going to say, you're a much better person than me. I would. No, no, it's just that in the moment when I want to say something awful to someone, I can never think of it. And then I go yes, home and think yeah. of like 27 things later. Yeah. But the point is, I was just speaking to myself as if I hated myself. Mm-hmm. How sad is that? Like, that stinks. So I started to notice this voice. And around the time that I started to notice it was around the time that the mindfulness teacher whose class I was taking said, please don't beat yourself up for the voice you notice. Like, don't add that as another thing that you should feel bad about. So that was really helpful to hear. Yeah. So the first piece is just starting to notice how often we're having these thoughts. We're making these self-deprecating jokes, which I am like the master of. Mm -hmm. How often we're throwing ourselves under the bus. How often we're telling a story about a moment that happened in our family Maybe, for example, when our kids were fighting over Spotify or Amazon and then something got broken. And instead of framing the story as, ha this is the chaos that happens in families, we're framing it as, ha this is because I'm a shitty mom. Yeah. Right? So let's stick with the chaos is normal story, okay? Because that's what it is. Chaos is part of the deal when you have kids in the house. So the first step is noticing. The second step for me is really about connection. And we've talked about that. You know, it's either connecting to your common humanity, connecting to a friend or loved one who can bring that voice of compassion and acceptance and understanding and not judgment to your experience, right? The next step after connection is actually for me, curiosity. And curiosity is a fundamentally kind and compassionate approach. Because if you think about it, when you are curious about something, what you're saying is, this thing matters to me. This thing, this person is worth my time. I am interested in learning more about what's going on with them. And I'm not scared of what they might say. Yeah. I am not going to be horrified or disgusted or offended by whatever I find when I am curious. Right. And for so many of us, that kind of curiosity is hard to bring to our own experience because if we are used to living with a voice that is full of shame and blame and contempt, getting curious might be like, Oh, actually I don't like what I'm finding here. So what I recommend to people is start with some really, really basic surface curiosity, such as if you're having a horrible moment where you're really beating yourself up and you're trying to connect to that common humanity, but you need a little bit more, just stop and say to yourself, what is happening right now? What is actually happening? Now, I'm not talking about what your thoughts are thinking, but what is actually happening? And so the example I like to give is taking my daughter to a street fair. We're having a great day. She was like four years old at the time. Mm-hmm. We're buying her all the stupid sugary treats and the overpriced crappy toys. And we're going on the bouncy house and all the things. And then she has a massive meltdown. And my first reaction was this spoiled entitled brat of a child we have given her everything she wanted all day and now she's losing it right in the middle of the street where our whole community can see it i'm a terrible mother like i have created this little terror yep 
And then I tried to get curious and I was like, wait, 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 what is actually going on here? And what I realized, the kid was hungry. We forgot to feed her lunch. We were having such a great day running around that we just, we forgot to give her food and she lost it because that's what I do. And that's what my grandmother did. That's what all the women in our family do. We fall apart when we're hungry. And so sometimes curiosity is just about getting a handle on what's actually happening as opposed to the crazy stories our brains are telling us. But sometimes it's also about noticing what we need. And what I find with a lot of moms, especially is we get curious and we think to ourselves, I need a freaking break. I need a break. And then what we do is we think, but I have a million things to do and the kids have a million things to do and I have to drive everyone around and I have to be at work and I have to do this. And And we just sort of like throw the break out the window, throw whatever we need out the window. And so that's not very compassionate. So my goal is when you're curious, can you then take those answers seriously? If you say to yourself, what do I need? And the answer is, I need a break. Can you put the kids in front of the TV for an hour so you can actually call a friend or stare at the wall or drink a cup of tea or whatever it is? And if you can't do that, can you can you call in your parenting partner? Can you call in members of your community for some childcare swapping or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So curiosity. So, so far we have noticing, we have connection, we have curiosity. And then the last piece is kindness. And there are a lot of ways to treat yourself with kindness And the biggest one I think of is just kind self-talk, which is really the antidote to this contempt that so many of us have for ourselves. And it's taking it a step beyond the common humanity. So it's not just about I'm not alone. It's also about every parent has a hard time. It's okay if I had an imperfect moment. What did your friend say? We all get to behave badly sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love that. I still want her cell phone number. You know, it's I don't have to be a perfect parent to be a great one. You know, it's just because this is hard doesn't mean I'm doing it wrong. And sometimes it's just like, instead of piling more on, oh, I have to rush through my to-do list. I have to do all the things. I have to bake the cookies, whatever it is. It's like, can I do something kind for myself? Can I go sit and watch this fun TV show with my kids and forget this big project I was trying to do for half an hour? Can I make myself some food I really love or turn on some music that makes me happy? Or can you just treat yourself with some kind of kindness when you're suffering? Because that's what we do for each other. You know, we show up for each other when people are suffering. So can we show up for ourselves in the same way? You know, I always think about too, parenting is one of the most poignant places where this comes up, but I don't know about you, but I have found that as I have adopted a self-compassion practice, then I've been able to not perfectly, but consistently apply it to the other areas of my life where I'm also very hard on myself. (laughs) Like, my business, like my taking care of patients, like my interactions with my partner. I mean, I think that parenting is where this shows up so consistently because you do it like all day, every day. Even if you're a working parent, you come home, you do it. But there are other areas too, where, for example, like we had a book deal we were really excited about and it fell through. And my immediate thought was, sorry, but you know, happens like you're, not good enough. Of course this didn't happen. Right. Piling it on myself in addition to my disappointment that I had and took me a minute, but the ability to infuse a little bit of self-compassion and to be able to find that within myself. I, I love the idea of like my friend who's amazing with the cell phone number. But what I used to find myself doing is when I didn't have some compassion within myself, I would always go looking to other people 
for the compassion or for the validation. And so I really got tired of being the person who like didn't have it within herself to believe to believe that I was okay, you know, like to talk to myself in a kind way that like I needed it to be over and above from everybody else to drown out all the negative thoughts I was having about myself. And so I'd love to hear if you have had that experience too, of where as you've practiced this, A, you've maybe found it extending out into other areas and that B, over time, you've been able to then give yourself more of the compassion as opposed to needing it to be coming from other people. All the things. Yes, 100%. Look, we're just one person with one set of neurons thinking the thoughts, right? And so much of self-compassion really does have to do with the way we think. And we can't control our thinking. I don't want any of your listeners to think that they should just decide to, like, think compassionately about themselves and it's suddenly going to happen. But what we know is that we can, just like learning a new language, and this is an analogy I use all the time when I'm thinking about self-compassion, Learning to treat ourselves with compassion is like learning a new language and it just takes time and practice, but you will get there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, once you learn, like, you know, let's say you start learning Spanish because you want to teach your kids Spanish. It's not like you're only going to be able to use Spanish when you're with your kids. You can use it at work. You can use it with your partner. It's it's the same. Mm -hmm. And it's just about rewiring your perspective. And then that new, more compassionate perspective is going to show up in every aspect of your life. And I will tell you, Whitney, that before I started practicing self-compassion, I was the judgiest freaking mom ever. I could judge every other parent for anything. Yep. Even things that I knew I sucked at, right? Like, it's not like I was doing any better, but I was judging the crap out of parents. And I will tell you that now I find myself every time I see a parent who's struggling or their child is struggling, instead of being like, oh, that parent does not have it together. What I find myself naturally thinking is that parent must have a lot going on. I wonder what else is going on in their life. Maybe... Maybe they're moving, which is like the most stressful thing ever. Or maybe they can't, maybe they lost their house because they can't afford to pay their mortgage. Or maybe they just found out somebody in their family has a new diagnosis. Or maybe they haven't slept in three weeks because their dog is dying. Like who knows, Right. right? But I find myself now when I see parents struggling, just sort of naturally coming up with more generous interpretations about what might be going on because that's what I've been trying so hard to do for myself. Yeah. So yes, the self-compassion leaks out all over the place. It's like glitter. You just spread it everywhere. But the best part <laughs> is there's nothing to clean up, right? Yeah. We hate glitter. I hate glitter. But let's talk about this idea of like always going to other people for reassurance and building that in yourself. So it's both, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, again, learning to speak this new language. And when we can't speak it, we have to go to our native speakers. Mm-hmm. But we also have to practice it ourselves. So if you go to these people in your life who love you and they're reassuring you. And then you get off the phone and you're thinking to yourself, well, they're full of crap. And they're only saying that because they're my best friend. They don't really mean it. Blah, blah, blah. Like not helpful. Okay. So here's the trick. You fake it till you make it. And I seriously mean this because when you first start practicing self-compassion, it is very likely that it's going to seem weird. It's going to seem inauthentic. It's going to feel like you are Stuart Smalley on Saturday Night Live sitting in front of that giant mirror going, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh, darn it. People like me. Mm-hmm. And you are going to be like, this is not what is this woman saying? And stick with it. That's normal. That sense of like, this is me bullshitting myself. That will go away. And I will tell you, one of the things I talk about in the book is, I don't know if you ever had to go to a language lab to, to study a language in like high school, college. Yeah, maybe I'm yeah, sure. Old and kids don't do this anymore. But, you know, you had to sit and listen to these weird tapes and then repeat the phrases over and over again. Well, 
you can do that for compassion. And in the book, I talk about loving kindness meditation, where you are literally repeating these phrases of loving kindness that you send to other people in the world and also to yourself. And at first it's like, this is the weirdest, dumbest thing ever. But what do you want to be practicing? Do you want to, because we're always practicing something. You Like my kids, when they were little, they practiced picking their nose a whole lot and they got really good at it, right? Yeah. <laughs> we are always practicing something, whether or not it's something we actually want to be getting better at. So do you want to be practicing like treating yourself with this horrible contempt and judgment? Or do you want to be practicing wishing all the best for yourself, thinking positive thoughts about who you are. So I'll just be like wandering around my neighborhood, walk into the post office, and I'll be saying to myself, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be safe, may I live with ease, which are, is my version of the loving kindness meditation. And it's a weird thing to do. But what I'm doing is kind of rewiring the neurons in my brain through repeated practice over and over and over again, because Whitney, I don't know about you, but I've got like 35 years of that crappy tape playing in my yeah. head. It takes a lot of practice to overwrite yeah. that tape, but I am, I'm committed to doing it. So yeah, it's going to feel weird. You might not believe it at first. That's okay. Keep practicing. And eventually you will become fluent in the language of self-compassion. So I believe this can be so simple. You don't need extra like add-ons. You don't have to have like a 15 minute recorded special meditation, but if you are the type of person where it's really hard to even access saying a couple kind words to you, yourself and you need some extra assistance, Mindful Mamas Club is my favorite go-to app for this type of thing. Love they it. have like five minute meditations, one minute meditations, like super quick. You could do it when you're walking, like, and they're all very actually mom specific. And so for those of us who struggle with maybe getting into that, like what feels a little too woo woo right in the very beginning, as you are learning this language and practicing, that is a great resource for you all. And yeah, I mean, I have to say self-compassion is the number one thing that has affected change in my life for the positive. I am like an anti-manifester person. You know what I mean? Like I don't believe in toxic positivity. I like I, I think all of that's like complete crap. You know, like I did not manifest yeah, having an autistic I kid. Your cell phone number. Oh wait, I have your cell phone number. Let's t- let, I want to talk about that more, but yeah. Yes. Like, I'm with no. you. I'm with you. Like I did not, my, you know, my friend didn't manifest her kid having a kidney disorder and seizure disorder and 8 billion allergies. Like, you know, life is a bitch and then you die. Like there are some like negative things that happen in life. And also your ability to talk in a kind way to yourself and to learn that language of self-compassion, it will change your life. It has changed my life. And again, it has not changed all my circumstances, but it has changed my ability to cope with my circumstances significantly and to change my perspective on my circumstances. And then in the end, it has made it so that I'm a more effective parent. And like you said, that I'm actually not losing it as much with my kids because I have that ability to be a little bit more self-reflective and aware. And that when I do lose it with my kids or my kids lose it, or I lose it with my partner, or I have quote unquote bad behavior I have a quicker recovery for it, or I'm quicker to move toward repair versus continuing just this spiral of shame and of destruction that can happen when you're not in the self-compassion mindset. 
Gosh, I, lo- I have like goosebumps. And can we talk a minute about the two arrows? This seems like a good time to talk about the two yeah. arrows. Okay. So this is a story from Buddhist teachings. This is one of the Buddhist stories. And while I myself am not a Buddhist, I have, I think Buddhist psychology and the Buddha's understanding of the way the human brain and our emotional and psychological and general functioning work is, is absolutely brilliant. And this story is fairly sacred to me because I think it's such a useful metaphor. So what the Buddha said is in life, we get struck by first arrows. Things happen. You have, you know, a a mirror breaks, a a kid's friend is diagnosed with a kidney disorder. Your house burns down in a horrible wildfire because of climate change. You know, pandemics happen. You get an ingrown toenail and it really freaking hurts and you can't focus on anything. Like things happen in life, right? Those are the first arrows and they are unavoidable. They will always come at us, which is why the Buddha said life is suffering and they were right. Mm -hmm. So what often happens is right after that first arrow, a second arrow comes shooting right at us and hits us right in that sore spot. That second arrow is how we respond to whatever just happened. We blame ourselves. We shame ourselves. We feel like we should have done better. We get angry. We fight against it. It shouldn't be this way. Why is this happening? All of these things that just make the moment more painful, more overwhelming, more unmanageable. So the first arrows, the pain of life, that's unavoidable. That's going to happen. I don't care what social media would have you believe. This shit is hard for all of us and it's hard all the time. Mm -hmm. But the second arrow we can put down, right? We don't have to get struck by that second arrow. And so, Whitney, let's go back to the part where you said, and this has been my experience with self-compassion too, you said that when you do have a bad moment, you recover more quickly, right? You get back on track more quickly. You do that repair more quickly. Well, that's absolutely my experience as well. And when we think about it through the second arrow perspective, we can start to make sense of that. Like you lost your temper, that's a first arrow thing. That's going to happen. That's just life, dude. We're just humans with our little like meat computer brain. Some other Buddhist teacher, I think his name is Bodhisattva, talked about that our brains are just like protein and fat and liquids. They're just meat computers, which is like gross, but also freaking brilliant, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we have these little meat computer brains. They're just doing the best they can. Sometimes they're going to lose it. That's a first arrow reality. Mm-hmm. But then after that first arrow hits, are we going to stab ourselves with a second arrow, which is going to make us, you know, we're in more pain, we're more tense, we're more upset, and we're more likely to lose it? Or are we going to immediately start that work of repair, of repair for ourselves, first of all, with the self-compassion, and then we calm down, right? We get calmer, we think, see things more clearly, and we can then reconnect with our kids or reconnect with ourselves or do whatever we need to do. So self-compassion is really about avoiding all those second arrows in life that just make things harder. And I think one of the challenges of the parenting world right now is that the focus of advice is on avoiding or preventing or fixing first arrow problems. Yes. And sometimes that's true. Like, you know, you put enough bug spray on, maybe you won't get a tick and you won't get Lyme disease, right? That's amazing. That's amazing. That's a great first arrow solution. But so often it's like, here's how to get your kid to sleep through the night And you may have a kid who just needs like, I don't know, blackout shades, if you're Mm -hmm. lucky. Mm -hmm. But so many people, their kid, maybe your kid's going to be a lifelong insomniac. And that stinks, but that's a first arrow problem, Mm -hmm. right? I have read every single book on how to get kids to eat a wide variety of foods. And I've got one kid who she may never, right? This is a first arrow challenge with her. And my other kid has other first arrow challenges. And I have mine and my husband has his. Mm -hmm. And so much of the parenting advice focuses on, preventing or avoiding or fixing these first arrows 
And then when we can't do it, because so often the problems of parenting, we just kind of got to muddle through. Mm -hmm. Then we come at ourselves with a second arrow, right? And we think, well, if I was a good mother, I would have fixed this problem. And I didn't fix this problem. Therefore, I'm not a good mother. That's second arrow BS talk right there. And so that's what we have to start to try to let go of. And that's what I was trying and hoping to address in this book. Yeah, I think you did. I loved having you on in the very first season of the Modern Mommy Dog podcast as an initial guest, but I think this was an even better conversation about getting real about some life-changing stuff. <laughs> so do a little dance here for people who can't listen. Who can't yes. see I mean. <laughs> Carla, thank you so much for being here. Will you tell people again the name of your book and where they can find out more about it and you? Absolutely. So the name of the book is You Are Not a Shitty Parent, How to Practice Self-Compassion and Give Yourself a Break. And it publishes on September 27th, 2022. You can learn more about me and the book and all my work at carlanomberg.com. And you can buy the book in paperback, e-version and audiobook order from your local independent bookseller or your favorite online retailer. Awesome. Okay. See you next time. How many of you feel like taking care of your makeup needs takes away from your time to do what really matters to you? I know I felt that way for such a long time. I literally never did my makeup unless I was recording for a client or out for a big event until I found mommy makeup. After being a professional makeup artist for over 20 plus years, Deborah Rubin Roberts had the privilege to work for and with some of the best brands and talent in the beauty industry. But it was becoming a mom that became the catalyst for Deborah to develop her own makeup line, Mommy Makeup, clean beauty for busy women like you and me. She figured if she needed clean cosmetics that were fast and easy to use and gave makeup artists quality results, surely other women did too. And she was totally right. Mommy Makeup is talc-free, paraben-free, cruelty-free, and non-comedogenic. But most important to me, it's multitasking. You literally just send them your selfie and which products interest you, and they will reply back with shade suggestions. Instead of using 13 different products, you can use just six multitasking power products to save you time, money, and clutter. Mommy Makeup, clean beauty for busy women. That's the only way I'm using makeup ever again. Use code MODERNMOMMYDOC, that's M-O-D-E-R-N-M-O-M-M-Y-D-O-C, for 20% off your first mommy makeup order. Or use the link, mommymakeup.com forward slash doc. That's mommymakeup.com forward slash M-O-D-E-R-N-M-O-M-M-Y-D-O-C. And the promo code will automatically apply. Hey mama, if you want more of the Modern Mommy Doc podcast, make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag Modern Mommy Doc. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.